You're listening to Trot the Egging, hosted by John Hetherington, working with Witness Rugby Union Football Club, sponsored by Boydells. This week's rugby story is that of a Lee Miners junior who grew up loving the game, whether that was playing or watching Lee from the stands, admiring the gladiators on the field. An apprenticeship from school set him on the right path for a solid job and a good life, but the law of rugby was never far away. A shareholder at Lee, he helped them out with others and then moved into Swinton Lions, helping them to a successful campaign and was persuaded to take the reins at Rochdale Hornets. Leading the way and finding ways of making them a sustainable business as well as an organisation people want to be a part of. Ladies and gents, Mr Andy Maisie. Follow, like, share, subscribe and endorse us via Facebook, Trot the Eggin, Twitter, at Trot the Eggin slash at John Heath, Instagram, Trot underscore D underscore Egg underscore In, YouTube, Trot the Eggin, LinkedIn, John Hetherington and Spotify, Trot the Eggin. So how are you doing, Andy? I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, all good. Yeah. All good weekend. So, and so before we get stuck into your rugby and life story, then, mate, where was home for you as a kid and who lived at home with you? Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm from over in Lee, so uh, God's own country, as they said. But, um, yeah, it was myself and uh, my mum and dad and, and, and my brother, my younger brother, we... Uh, we grew up in uh, in Wesley, part of Lee over there in uh, in that part of the town, and uh, yeah, that's that's what I called home as a young lad. You're lucky to get you on them, really, mate. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> You're the hair to go back in the day. <laughs> so how how was how was rugby introduced to you, and, and where was it? My first memories of, of rugby, and it was my dad. Um, that got me into it. Um, my first memories were going down to the old park at Lee. And yeah. uh, back in the day there, I, I, me, me grandmother, she actually knitted me a red and white oops, cherry and white shirt, you know. And my first m- memories of going going down there were being lifted. Them days, you didn't go through turnstile. Your dad lifted you over him. I was probably only about <laughs> four years of age. And he li- used to lift me over. And uh, and that's my very first memories, yeah, of, of, of the yeah. game. It's, and obviously in them days when you're that age and that size, you don't recall much of it. Just everybody's huge, aren't they? You know what I mean? Because yeah. you're you're small. Especially in the cow sheds as well, isn't it? Yeah. That was it, yeah. So you yeah. um I do have vague recollections of, of being on the terraces and uh and going to away games as well. Um probably as you got a bit older, I do remember some of the old grounds, you know, that are no longer with us. Yeah. And with it with you going to Lee, would it be a right day? Lee East was sort of on the horizon because they used to sort of not ground share, but they were on the same sort of premises, weren't they? Bar and a car park. That's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, my memory goes back to a point where where the Hilton Park was. <clears throat> There's a B and Q that still remains. The ground's not there, um, but yeah. my memory goes far enough back to the B and Q actually being a training ground. So at one time you had the training ground, yeah, at the main stadium, and then as you said, just a little bit further along. Was the uh, the old East uh, site as well, yeah. Right, mate. So was it was it ever something you took up as a kid? Did you take it serious, or was it social for you and out? Yeah, I think um, probably you know memory going back to when you first start playing and you get introduced to the game. You know, it, in this this particular town in Lee, it's the you know it's the be all and end all. It's a rugby town, so. You know, uh, you take it serious, you know, whether you want to or not. You know, it's, it's a serious thing. If you go down to minors or 
Lee East, it's a serious thing, even from an early age, you know, because it's changed a little bit in this day and age where there's more of a fun element. But I think winning was, it was all about winning from as soon as you could pick yeah. a ball up, you wanted to win, didn't you? So certainly, yeah, yeah I enjoyed the game growing up and played a lot of junior rugby and uh, something that, you know, only fond memories of really, no no bad memories. And, uh, and yeah, it was something that you, you took seriously because it was... You know, it wasn't again not like the modern day where you've got Xboxes and you've got live television with uh, Premiership football. You literally look forward to your you know your game on a Sunday morning and then going watching a going watching a game on the on the Sunday afternoon, didn't you? Yeah, no, that was it. it was the talk of the week, mate. School was without being rude was a little bit of a sideshow, wasn't it? And all <laughs> well, the talk was to the weekend. Well, that was it. All your mates, you know, you, you the, the same lads that you were friends with at school. The lads you went to either, you know, we were we were minors. I was black and white, uh, yellow and black, I should say. So, but mm-hmm. it was sort of split. Half the lads would play at East, half the lads would play play at Rangers, and uh, and yeah, they were all the same lads that you were in the same class with, um, that you yeah. played with at the weekend and, and you trained with. And obviously, uh, you know, there was a school further down the road, and same again, it was a bit of a mix, Eastern Eastern minors lads. So. It was literally, yeah, you talked about it all week. You played, you trained, and uh, it was a way of life, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. The Monday was about the last result, the Tuesday onwards is about next week, <laughs> wasn't it? That's how it was, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. So was, was there a town team element when you played, mate, and was it an option for you? There was, yeah. Yeah, I remember going down there, again, when, on the facility that you mentioned earlier, the town team trials, the Lee town team, were always on Lee East ground just at the side of Hilton Park. So I remember getting sent down there. It was uh, Mr. Fallon at 12 Apostles who he coached the rugby team. He was probably what you'd class as your first coach. And he sent us down, a few, an handful of us, was probably four or five lads for trials with uh, the Lee Town team as, as it was then. And then you were, yeah. you were sort of, that was probably your first interaction with some of the better players from other schools. And then this, the makings of... Um, you know, some of those lads who, you know, they would go on to big things in the game. Some of them, them lads who got yeah. selected for the town team. So, yeah, that's the first real inter- interaction you have with the best from other schools because up until then, you're just playing with your own mates, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, like your club games, isn't it? And yeah, it, yeah. I'm guessing when up until a certain age, I don't know if it was similar to you, there isn't such a league system, is that it's like a pool, isn't it? So you could you play the similar teams regularly. There's no real standings. Yeah. Yeah, an age group. I think from my memory, it was literally just Lee against Wigan. Um, yeah, always with town team games, but all the all the main ones are the ones that were always talked about with the Lee versus Wigan. Because at that time in that age group, I was sort of same age as your Sean Longs of the world. So you know, and then uh, you know Craig Dean, who I don't really remember, he went on to play at Halifax and at Lee and had a successful pro career. So there was some real good good uh, talent at that age group and. Yeah, that was where you'd, you'd sort of go head to head against, you know, your best in your your town against the best in another town, wouldn't you? Yeah. So not long after me, mate, they merged, and it was a bit of a, a like a baffle to me because Lee definitely had a team good enough to stand on their own, and obviously Wigan did. And how would that have happened? Like, how would that have went down with you as kids? Because they they did merge for a bit, and all the separate now, but they were Wigan and Lee for a while, wasn't they? And, I remember, yeah, they, I mean, I've not had too much uh, dealings with it, but they were classing as service areas and such like. That's it, yeah. And, yeah, it was not, none of that was uh, in existence when we sort of played. And 
because I'm going back to probably uh, uh, mid to late 80s there, really. So it's a, a long time ago, you know. But um, yeah, I don't think it had gone down too well because I think I've, been, I've always been a great believer, even now, you know, with my involvement, now rivalries are key, aren't they? And rivalries, yes. even just at a young age, you, you know, uh, you know, your Lee versus Wigan games are, are big games, whether you're playing schoolboys or whether it's out there on the you know the JJB or whatever it's called these days DW yeah. uh, or, or even down here at Lee those, those are the games that everybody loops for aren't they and you know where yeah. I'm involved now the Roch, the first thing that you you loop for on that fixture list is your Rochdale and Oldham game because that's your yeah. big game isn't it you know your local rivalry yeah. so it's a little bit like mergers I don't know I don't know you'd ever get those to, to really want to work together as such but yeah, uh, for me, the, the Lee and Wigan games, I, th- I think they should always be separate and, and they yeah. should be playing against each other. <laughs> no, I do myself, mate. It's like it's like with someone in today, I imagine it just wouldn't it just wouldn't function. No, um, maybe it, this is no word from from anyone from Wigan Harley, but maybe it was a an avenue to poach the better players. Maybe they, they'll po- possibly because I you know some yeah. of the ones I have in the game and. I've got some good friends in community game and you hear all the stories about he played for our, you know, service area or he was yeah. in our academy and he's ended up at Wigan or Saints, you know, so you do hear all, all that sort of, but I suppose you'll get that. Ultimately, the, the best uh, talent will end up at the, the club, the best club really, won't they? Whether that's yeah. fine, you know, um, whichever ever route they take, generally the best talent will end up at the best clubs, won't it? Yeah, it's it's irrelevant whether they were 13 or 23. If they're still good enough, they'll be there, won't they? Yeah, that's usually works. That's it. Yeah. So how was your transition into high school, Andy? How did you find that? And do you think sport brought the ice for you with that? Yeah, I think so. Because very much um, we went to, as I said, mentioned 12 Apostles School. So where you went from 12 Apostles, pretty much everybody, you didn't, break away and all go to different high schools. You pretty much did 90% of the class would go to St. Mary's High School. So you went with your mates, the classes that you ended up, there was a good, you know, a good few people within that class were from your your primary school. And and again, it was all about, you know, the lads who were in, in your class. It was literally, as soon as that bell went, you're out on playground with a rugby ball in your hands and you're all playing rugby together again. So yeah. I think definitely sport made that transition. You know, certainly rugby, it makes that transition uh, very easy, doesn't it? Because you, yeah. you're you all mates together and you're doing what ultimately what you enjoy doing at break times and lunch times and then evenings and weekends. Okay, mate, yeah, so a little bit a little bit on that. So as you've you've gone from your club to town team, haven't you? And then you're going into high school when growth happens at different rates. Are you beginning to notice a level change in standard? Yeah, I think you do. I think you start seeing... You know, the, certainly the, the the lads who've gone on to have really successful professional careers, I think it's at that stage when you reach high school, they start really standing out, don't they? Or they did in my in my eyes, you know, the the names that we all knew were, were real good players at uh, 11, 12, 13. By the time they're the 15, 16, they're pretty much on somebody's books, aren't they? So yeah. I think you really start... And, and I think as well, size begins to level out a little bit, doesn't it? Where... You might have some of the really young kids who are big and bulldoze the way through. But as you start getting into high school and everybody's catching up with each other, it becomes more about talent and strength and ability rather than just pure, 
fewer size, you know. Yeah. And, and how did you find school, mate? Was it something you enjoyed? Or was it just a social boy at, at some well, point? wasn't particularly academic, if I'm honest. Um, I sort of always just did enough to, to, to get by, really, at school. It was never um, something that, you know, I was never going to be uh, moving on to university and being being that way inclined. I was always more, you know, um, I think my route was always going to be down the apprenticeship route and, and working and grafting for a living. And, uh, yeah. and you know, that was identified, I think, very early as, as, as where I was going to go. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I had good parents who guided me into a, a good a good apprenticeship and you know when them times when you don't want to get out of bed in the morning or you might you might not be feeling it my dad would kick yeah. me the backside and get me in there <laughs> most mornings that's it most mornings yeah so yeah definitely i think um from, from school from my perspective was just about i always just did enough i was never sat revising too long or working yeah. too hard i'd just i'd have an exam coming up and i'd just about do enough to get to where i needed to be and then <laughs> do the minimum really if i'm honest yeah <laughs> so how how's the standard from club rugby to school rugby was it pretty similar uh yeah i think obviously because it's a relatively small town um same thing the lads in your in, in your high school um there's two real high schools that feed into um, into the rugby system, if you like, and, and Bedford High and, and St Mary's and the, you know, the the core of the teams between Lee East and Lee, Lee Miners Rangers are made up from those two schools, really. Obviously, there's other schools, but primarily in my sort of time and, and age group and years, they were, you know, half the team would be from Bedford High, half the other half would be from, yeah. from our school, St Mary's. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, that the standard really was... Um, it was pretty good because I think you were getting, um, you know, there wasn't really a lot of other sport. We didn't have um, much other sports really that, that that were as prominent as rugby league in, in, in that time. So it was a really good standard. And I think it reflects with the, the calibre of the two clubs and the success that those two clubs have in not just developing and, num- and numbers, but also achievements as well. Yeah. And maintaining that as, as, as well as providing for the pro game and the semi-pro game and Andy, it's yeah. it's great work keeping that up, isn't it? It does. It's massive. You know, the community game, something that um, massive amount of respect for everybody that um, you know they, they do what they do and and they do it for the love primarily, don't they? You know, they, yeah. the the amount of people that you meet who who are, who are you know sort of an of an older age, and they say, I came here when my kid was you know six or seven years old when they first start and the kids have moved on, they're grown up, they're married with their own kids and they're still doing that voluntary job because they love it, you know, and they've become part of the furniture in these community clubs. So yeah. huge respect to anybody that, that puts their hand up to do anything within the game because it's vital, isn't it? It is, mate. It's key. And they're the gems, aren't they? Because that's why we all started doing rugby and in yeah. one, whether it was coaching, refing, administrating, running, playing, we all do it because fundamentally we love the game, don't we? And then... You, you do, I think, anybody who's got any level of involvement in, in the sport, they do it for ultimately for the love of it, don't they? And I, uh, funnily enough, we we had um, a few issues with, with the, over Christmas with facilities being closed and weather. We needed a 4G pitch. But Gary wanted, our head coach wanted to just run a session on New Year's Eve, keep them all on the toes, you know. So right, yeah. um, I picked the phone up to uh, to Miners Rangers down here and, and 
a couple of my old mates are sort of now in like treasury positions or work on the committee and what have you. And I was chatting to Paul, uh, Paul Blackburn, one of the guys who's the treasurer there, and we're having a chat about the old days because the facility they've got there, they've just had a new 4G pitch down. Um, and it's one of the best facilities you'll come across. And I was yeah. chatting about it because we remember the days where you used to get changed half a mile down the road in, in the IFO community centre. You'd troop across the field, you know, knee, knee deep in mud, play a game mm-hmm. of rugby, troop back and get changed and have, a, have an hot dog in community centre and then go home. You know, it's a yeah. world really when you look at what they've got now. Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. It, I think like maybe the lads that are coming through from my age and and like younger, so I'm like 33 now and it was pretty good when I went. They were still on like, is it the canal bank or like a river in the down the, the side? They, they were still at the clubhouse in front of that. So that's, I didn't have yeah. to do the trek you done. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the, um, the miners' open age setup is on right. Twist Lane. Um, yeah. the, the juniors is, is um, a mile or so away from there. And well, back oh, in right. the day, is it separate? Yeah. Literally just a set of fields. There was no right. clubhouse. There was the facility they've got now is, you know, I, I think it's the, you know, it's the, probably the envy of a lot in the pro game, certainly. You know, it's, it's a fantastic facility. And, uh, Far cry from what we used to be uh, playing yeah. on a Sunday morning. Just saying, we probably take it for granted, don't we? Now the facilities are that good in most places. I think, yeah, and and rightly so, really. I think um, you know to give to give these young kids and these young athletes a chance, you've got to give them the best possible chance, haven't you? And the best facilities. Yeah. And when you talk about you know uh, standards and wanting to beat the Aussies, I think uh, that's not just about you know, what goes on in that sort of World Cup with the, you know, the open age of the elite. It's for, That's where it starts. Facilities, yeah. numbers at that age, participation, development, it's all, it all leads, all roads lead to that top of the, you know, that elite level. But it's down there where the journey begins, isn't it? Oh, so it is, mate. Yeah, it's where the love of the game starts, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll touch a bit more on your journey with Roxdale later on, but is it difficult? To arrange stuff like that, so it, the, the one week do you have to train at Lee Myers, another week do you train closer to where a lot of your lads are from? Or no, we're pretty fortunate. We we have um, a real we've got state of the art training uh, facility at uh, Hotwood Hall College. We were a partner of ours. Uh, it was just over uh, leading into Christmas, but it being a college facility, they closed down for the Christmas yeah. holidays. So Gary was just keen to get a session on uh, in the holiday period if you like so yeah, yeah and obviously that's at this time of year and with the weather that we've just had it couldn't be on a grass field so we just needed to get hold of a, a 4g field and uh and yeah we we, um, we were fortunate to have some good relationships and connections with with these clubs and uh they helped us out which um you know it's what what again what the game's all about isn't it you know the, yeah, the family we all do our bit for each other and help each other out yeah so when it comes to the back end of high school then, mate, you mentioned your apprenticeship there. So what was that in and, and what did that entail and how long did it last? Um, yeah, I went literally from uh, school leaving age. Um, I went li- straight into what, back in the day, they were, I don't know what they do now. Well, I do know what they do now. They're a, a lot better than they were, but it was like a YTS. It was a youth, yeah. <laughs> youth training scheme, if you like. So still remember, I think my first wage of the, £28.50 a week it was on or something like that. feel like that. a boss as well. Yeah, and you were, you yeah. didn't want to do it, burning all in your pocket. But, uh, 
No, it was that was as I said, my mum and dad. Um, they always knew I was never going to be going to university and wasn't academic. So I got the right advice. You know, fortunate to have good parents and didn't really need a careers advisor. My dad, my dad pointed me in that direction. You know, yeah. you get a get a training. Gently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, the um, you, you set yourself up, then you've always something to fall back on, haven't you? And uh, yeah, and I've been very lucky. I've been fortunate. You know, I stuck at it at times when. You know, it gets difficult, and and you don't. Sometimes you you feel like you're not you're not you're not getting anywhere, and it's difficult. But I stuck at it, and uh, and I've got my rewards, in, you know, for that sort of work ethic. But uh, there's absolutely no doubt that that was instilled in me by others. You know, it wasn't a natural thing. Yeah. I can imagine, the up the backside many a time. You know, <laughs> <laughs> especially if it's a side so eleven or twelve, mate, you feel it, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> you certainly do. You certainly do. So yeah, that was so, me really, straight from school yeah. and into a, into an apprenticeship and uh, electrical engineering apprenticeship. Yeah, I hope they're being in the adult world, mate. Certainly is. Yeah, you you go from well, I was in the company that I went to work for. I was literally straight into the you know the the big wide world of working away from home and out of town as they call it. So I was staying in in digs and and. Uh, you know, it, it opens your eyes, doesn't it? You know, you, you're in a different, you're in the, a big boy's world, man, aren't you? And yeah. Again, when you look back, all these things and these experiences, I think, you know, you take something from them and you learn from them, don't you? And uh, it's all part of that journey and, and, and development of, as a person, you develop not skills and and resistance to, to, to certain things, don't you? And uh, yeah. it's all a journey and, and, and I don't think you'd ever get, certainly I don't think I'd ever have done probably as well as I have been fortunate to do without that grounding and that, that sort of, that apprenticeship and that upbringing. Yeah, which is transferable skills across the walk of life in general, mate, not just the game outside the game, isn't it? And... It, it is, it is. I think it's a, it's a work ethic thing, isn't it? And, you know, um, it's something that I, I always try and pride myself on, you know, uh, I'm always, uh, you know, if I'm ever, if I'm arranged to be at a meeting, I'm always there on time um you know i'll always try and be first in and i'll always try and be, be last out the office if i can be because i just want to you know make people see that i'm not resting on my laurels and that uh you know i i always try and, make, and ensure that my own work ethics right so that when i'm giving you know somebody a, a reminder about theirs i can uh, they're not turning around and going well you know he doesn't do it but he's telling me to do it so it's setting standards from the top and hoping it trickles down on the unit lead by example if you can don't you yeah. yeah so how how was it doing that and combining like your rugby how, how did that work or did it not work no to be fair i i had i, I fell away from rugby um i think I, I i did well in terms of juniors i really enjoyed playing junior rugby and i did a couple of tours to france with um school boys and captain the team over there in france with um we played down in Lemou and we uh we had some some good times down there playing against Lemu. Played in the earlier age groups, which would have been around like twelve year old, and then I think in, in final years, maybe fifteen, sixteen, we toured down there again, and I captained the side down there. And you know, when you talk about um, standards, I think at that time when you when you're at fifteen, sixteen, you know, you you you're physically developing, and it's it's real rugby. You know, we we had some real tough. Tussles with the French down there, you know, and uh, we had some really good players in those sides. So 
I, well, I, as I got to sort of um, go heading towards open age, I realised because you're trying to combine work and and uh, still trying to train and still trying to play and you're working away from home, it's difficult. And, and if I'm being brutally honest, it's an hard game as well. And people always said to me, why did you never sort of play pro or did you never make it? And I'm an, an honest bloke. And, and to be fair, I always remember I had trouble with my shoulders. I broke collarbones for fun. I wasn't never the biggest. I was quite quite lean and, and picked a lot of injuries up and I, I guess the answer I, I always felt that I was you know I was quick and I had skill and could play the game could mm. play the game with my eyes closed but probably not tough enough if I'm honest and be, being just, really just in the body you mean yeah yeah it was it's, it's a brutal game isn't it you know and yeah um I probably couldn't um you know just didn't have that physical toughness and uh just to be able to deal with the you know, breaking your shoulders and, and keep bouncing back. I always remember my dad saying, unless unless you go ever make money out of the game, you need to pack it in because, uh, you know, you just want to spend your life uh, <laughs> spend your life in in, in, uh, in hospital. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So I never really progressed beyond, uh, you know, never never really pushed on into academies. Uh, I trained a bit with, with the old Lee Academy at Elton Park and Terry Marin down there dragged us down and, and trained at academy down there but never progressed any further than that and probably being honest never you look at some of the lads who have, have gone on and had successful careers um probably never really tough enough to do that i don't think and combine my aspirations and me you know my ambitions off uh off in, in my career i couldn't you couldn't combine both really you had to be 100 percent committed and, and uh, giving your all to, to to one or the other i think and there's, there's nothing wrong with just reaching them levels of amateur either, Andy, is there? You've, you've been yeah. successful, you've been on tours, you've captained teams, you're building a character, you, you don't know you build it until you're hitting what you do now, which we'll talk about in a bit. But no, I think, there's, nothing I think, wrong, there's nothing wrong with that, mate. I think you're right, because I think some of your best memories, you know, I'll meet up with lads now and who we, who play, who we went to France on those tours with, and we still talk about, and I'm talking, you know, it's, I can't even count the number of years, but... You, you know, we, we still talk about, about those days or, you know, and yeah. like I said, I was talking to, to Paul there, who's treasurer at Lee Miners, and we were talking about them old days. So you, you, the fond memories, aren't they? The good memories yeah. that you made with your mates and the ones who had the, you know, the ones who had the uh, ability to push on and play pro did it, you know, and they did it, some of them yeah. did it with, with uh, you know, to a very high standard. But, uh, you know, I, I was happy to hop off the bus when I did because I realised it was never... It wasn't going to be a career for me, and uh, mm. and probably I wasn't tough enough to keep getting beat up every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people are, mate, Ali. So, was was it ever your idea to maybe revisit the game in another capacity, or is it just sort of fell on your lap to a degree? I, I carried on. I, I, we always supported Lee and uh, mm. followed me, followed Lee with, with me, my mum. I said my mum, my dad, and my granddad, my dad's dad. Yeah. Um, and we always, we carried on supporting Lee. I've always watched Lee. Um, I just never had any real desires to to play the game beyond sort of 17 years of age. Really, I, I got more into me into me work and and of course, you know, it's the biggest problem we have now with juniors is you reach that age, don't you? And you start finding other things. You know, is uh, yeah. we're going out at weekends and you start finding girls and you start finding. Be a girls, yeah. You become a bit more of an attractive proposition on a Saturday and Sunday than getting a good hiding off eighteen stone lads. So, you know, <laughs> I went down that route rather than uh, than the rugby. But uh, 
yeah, my, my involvement carried on as a supporter. And, uh, and, and, and as I reached a sort of point in time, obviously further down the track with my career, when I was in positions of responsibility with businesses that I didn't own, I would always sponsor a game or do what I could for, for, for yeah. the community game. And then obviously as I've got, you know, been a bit more successful and I've had the ability to be able to, you know, contribute in different ways. I've, I've always tried my best to do whatever I can for the game for rugby league because it's something yeah. I've always loved. So how, how have you managed to stay, don't think relevant's the word, but how have you managed to stay modern with the game? Because it hasn't half changed, Andy, hasn't it? And personalities have changed and talks have changed and clubs have changed. <clears throat> they have. They have, I think, um, probably for me, uh, that's possibly why I've, I've, why I've been... Um, I wouldn't say successful, but I've been in my involvement. I've, I've sort of, I, I didn't really, I, I came away from it, from, a, from an actual being on the inside and involved with the game. I went, I went away from it after I finished playing and wasn't really involved in committees or coaching or didn't do anything like that. And it was only really as I came back to the game as a sponsor and, uh, and I got involved and I was sort of dragged into the administration side of it then. And as a sponsor and helping run clubs and giving clubs a bit of guidance around some of the knowledge that I'd learned from running businesses, essentially, I'd, yeah. I'd got, you know, I'd gone through the ranks in my profession as, you know, right through as far as I could go in terms of electrical engineering. And I'd gone more to the admin side, the office side, and probably found that I was quite good at that and transferable skills into, because what you find in rugby league clubs and, you know, I've been involved in three at professional level. And the reason I've ended up being involved in it is they've been ran badly and almost going, you know, going bust. And we've yeah. come through the door really, um, and, and, and had to pick them up and and, and get them moving and, and give them some, you know, just instill some basic uh, fundamental business uh, strategies within them to get them moving again, you know. Right, and it that's it's that thing that fans don't don't see, do they? They think, oh, the club's in a mess, but why can't he do this? It's because. There's a mess, and then there's whatever you find it in. <laughs> yeah, Isn't I mean, there? There, is, yeah. there is. It's where often where you pick them up. And, you know, to be fair, um, you know, even going back to my involvement at Lee, I'd, I'd been a sponsor at Lee, and uh, we've been around 2012. Lee, it's on, on, you know, you're obviously flying high now under Derek, and, and you're going really well. But at that point in time, they were struggling in, in the championship. They were getting crowds of maybe 1,200. Um, players weren't getting paid. There was some serious problems, and we went in as a board. I worked at the time was with Derek and a few others, and you know the mess that was picked up there was was significant. You know there was HMRC winding up petitions, dropping through the door. There was pay players, you know, had been promised money for months and weeks and months on end and not been paid, and we picked up a real difficult situation there. And as a, you know, we, it, that club turned round with the hard work of, of quite a few people and. Derek's taken that on, you know, Derek's taken that on and invested hard in it and has got his own vision and, and, and pushed them, you know, back where he wants them to be in Super League. But it wasn't always that rosy and they were in quite a bit of a mess. And similarly, you know, when I left Lee, um, I did a bit of sponsoring for Swinton and uh, ended up picking Swinton up in similar circumstances. I, I bought that club off, off the, the previous chairman and owner. We did a deal basically to buy the club off him and... Uh, at that point in time, it was a huge gamble because there was no guarantees that that club uh, could carry on. And we took a bit of a gamble and we, again, a bit of a red-a-dirt thing. We jumped in and had a go and, and sorted it out. And uh, 
and had a degree of success. I, I believe success is all relative. You know, like you say, it's not all about. Not everybody can go and lift the Challenge Cup uh, at Wembley, can they? You know, yeah. there's certain wins that you can have at certain levels that are all relevant. You know, they're all wins, aren't they? Regardless of whether you're at the highest level and you're lifting the Super League Grand Final, or whether you're picking something up that's in a bad way. You're surviving. Yeah, yeah. Turning it round, yeah. Yeah. And so, how was it, first of all, for the first job, it's your hometown club. It's a club you've been supporting forever. And do you know when, because we, we, we have grand thoughts of what our hometown clubs are, don't we? Everybody yeah. has it, Andy, don't they? You've gone in and reality's smacked you in the face with it. <laughs> so, does it make you look at the game different? I think you do. I think there's um, there's a lot of idealism on terraces, you know, you live in an ideal world, don't you? And you think that, you know, everything's easy. And, and, and I was guilty of that myself, to be fair, you know. Um, you stand on terraces and why are we not doing this? Why are we not doing that? You know, and, and, and very idealistic um, view on things. But when you get into the, the actual devil in the detail of it all, and the yeah. nitty-gritty of it, you, you realise that I understand now why, you know, the, the previous board or chairman couldn't do that because it's not, it's not sustainable, it's not achievable, it's not, you know, you can't finance it. Whatever the reason is, there's always a reason. Nine times out of ten, there's a reason why a club's not doing something, isn't there? You know, it's, yeah, it's not a case of oblivious to it. The, 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 you know, the ideas are easy. There's a lot yeah. of people who can come up with ideas. The, the biggest thing is execution and people willing to put that time and effort into execution. You know, I could write you a book of ideas, but uh, getting somebody to go out and execute them is a different story, isn't it? It is, especially under a bit of pressure, mate, because who knows what's going on at home for you at that point or well, that's the thing, your extended you know, family and stuff, isn't it? That's the thing. I, I see it with whether it be football clubs. You know, I have friends who are, you know, part owners of uh, fo- football, pro football clubs and investors or shareholders, board directors. Whatever level of involvement you've got, if you're doing it with a, a degree of care and you care about it, it has a it has a, an effect on your your personal life or your your business because times you know time is arguably more important than money, isn't it? You know because uh, yeah. you've only got a finite you know you a finite amount of uh, time. You, you get twenty four hours in a day. You don't get any more, do you? But you're fortunate you can accrue money. You can't accrue hours in a day, can you? So no, uh, your times your times the biggest thing really. I think uh, for me, it's the balance that I, I always try and get right and and, and make sure that. You know, I, I'm very careful to divide my time up and make sure I do my day job, do enough, you know, you know, prioritise my family. Yeah. And then whatever time I've got, I'll give to I'll give to the game. And, uh, and that's how I've always tried to do it, you know, is if I commit to something, I will give it that time, I'll give it that effort and I'll put me, I'll always put my money where my mouth is as well when I need to. Yeah. So yeah. when you go into that first role, mate, is it not only, like you just said, it was a bit of an eye opener, but, them transferable skills were on about because surely times are that bad, difficult chatter to be had, aren't they? Not just with with players, with members of staff from maybe kit men or ladies to the kitchen people to stewards. What was you out your depth at that early stage, or because you've been quite successful off the field, had you become? You know, I think Lee was a good learning curve for me in respect to professional club because. Obviously, I was a sort of, I wasn't the main guy there. I wasn't the chairman. I was part of the board. So that was probably mm. me learning, me learning, me, de- me 
my administration sort of uh, boardroom. And as apprenticeship, yeah. if you like. So I learned from uh, certain things that I saw being done how not to do things. And yeah. I learned from, from experiences. I thought if I'm ever in a position where I'm doing that, I'll do it this way or, you know, there's no, you know, and, and, and to be honest, you know, the, the duties and, and the things that I did, um, I made mistakes because we all do, you know, and, and you learn from those mistakes, you know, and you, when you, when you move on in life and you go into different clubs and different roles, you, you probably don't make those mistakes again. So it was a good experience and a bad experience in, 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 in sort of uh, all in one, wrapped up in one, really, you know, there was good, there was bad. But we genuinely, you know, the involvement at Lee came from being asked to get involved, asked to put some money in, and then dragged into the boardroom, really, to, to help out because in the case of, you know, at that time, if, if a few of us stepped forward and stood in and uh, had, had we all not done that, what we did at that time, um, who knows where the club might be. And then, as I said, Derek sort of taking that on, you know, he wanted to take it in a direction he's taking it in and, uh, and, and respect to him, he's... You know, he's, he's never give up, as he? He's stuck at it. He's had some oh, he fronts it as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Derek, yeah. you know, we never always saw eye to eye. And, you know, um, we do we do things differently. But equally, we do things, you know, there's certain things that we, we we both see eye to eye on and we disagree on. But, you know, he's one thing you can't ever say is that he's not committed. And, and again, you know, he's, he's had some serious uh, setbacks in relegations and, you know, some big issues around not making top fours and having to get rid of players and, and everything that he's done, he's, he's stuck at it and uh, come again. And he's, you know, I, I think he's reaping his rewards at the moment because he seems to be, you know, going into Super League in best shape I think they've ever been in. Yeah, I'd say that as well. He won't be left wondering, will he, Daddy? No, no, he's never yeah. going to. No. You don't leave, uh, like you say, he doesn't leave anything out there, does he? No, and there will be many clubs that, that, that wish they had someone like that in charge, might they? Because whether you like the Lee Leopards or not, it's all anyone's talking about at the minute. That's the thing, yeah. I mean, there's um, you know, there's an argument to you know people. All, everybody's experts, aren't they? Everybody could yeah, do things. Yeah, of course, but, yeah. But ultimately, you, your main aim, I, I believe, is if you're going to do if whatever you're doing in this day and age, it's about getting eyeballs on what you're doing. So you get about getting people talking about what you're doing, and you know that, that half of the people might be talking about it in a negative light, but they still they care. Publicity, publicity. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows who Lee Leopards are now, don't they? That's it, exactly, you know, mate. Yeah, exactly. Something in, in respect to that, and, uh, and 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 yeah, there's they're having a go. To be fair to them, you know, you mm. the, the the game needs people disruptors to come and you know. Come and do things a little Shake bit. Shake it up. Shake yeah. it up a bit. And, and to be fair to Derek, he's trying to do that. So, you know, mm. that's off to him. I hope he's successful yeah. with it. Yeah. And obviously, it, with you having a bridge there, if there's opportunities further down the line that benefit Rochdale and benefit Lee, it's worth a chat also, isn't it? You know, it's... Yeah, I mean, they, they were good with us last season We because we had a bit of an injury crisis and, and our coach at the time was needing you know wanting to strengthen the squad and we took a uh took a couple of players off them on loan deals so yeah there's um there's a relationship there and <clears throat> i think it's one of those you know my general sort of findings in the game is the clubs do work together you know there's yeah. a we have the the you know the council meetings and the and the championship meetings 
and generally there's a good camaraderie between club owners and, and chairman and, uh, and and there is a good you know a good spirit in that particular sort of camp of, of clubs so yeah there's never any real major issues between clubs that, that I come across anyway yeah no Clint said the same that the uh, York owner he said the same like everyone pulls together really and if you can't help someone you direct them in a way that possibly can you do Which yeah it's nice to hear mate isn't it it's not about getting one up on someone off the field is it it's about no. doing it on the field well ultimately we're you know the, I'm a great believer in that we're all only as strong as, as the sport so mm. you know if we are if we want the sport to progress and to grow we've all got to try and help each other we've got to work with each other you know I don't think we do enough in terms of I think I think we could if you you know the creative side of me thinks that if we work together more closely as clubs we could probably help each other increase our numbers increase that eyeball so I'm pretty sure that IMG now who are, who are reviewing the game at the moment and coming up with a a strategic uh, vision for the sport. I'm pretty sure that they'll be looking at that aspect because, you know, I'm not for one minute saying centralise everything and, and but certainly if there's more of a united brand and a united front across all the divisions and clubs, I, I'm pretty sure that some of the parts, it would be a stronger game for, for being joined up that way. Yeah. If both the product and the image will only strengthen and grow bigger, won't it, if, if we're together sort of thing? You know, so it's, so, not, it's not going to be a bad thing. No, definitely. And I think that's the encouraging thing about the, the coming back together of the Super League and, and the Rugby Football League and the involvement of a strategic partner in IMG. That's the encouraging thing for me because it's about coming together and working together and an acknowledgement that the game's bigger than one division. Yeah. It's about the, you know, the, the big picture. And as I said, the sum of all those parts, if we can grow all those parts in isolation but bring them together, and you'd yeah. like to think it would be a strong sport, or certainly a stronger sport. Stronger, yeah. Did it feel like that, Andy, did it? That it was very much Super League and then everyone else? I think so. I think, you know, I was obviously, I was over at Swinton in 2018 when effectively they get, they, they, there was a breakaway, wasn't there? You know, Super League yeah. became their own entity, if you like, and and, uh, and employed their own chief, chief exec at the time, Robert Elston. And there was a feeling that, you know, it, it was divided and, and uh, I don't think, ever, you know, anybody really believed it was the right way. But yeah. it was one of those things where I think it went that way. <clears throat> it didn't work. There's been a, a coming back together now and hopefully, hopefully now with the involvement of IMG and, and a real willingness to, to try and drive the sport. Um, it can be, you know, it's the game. We want to become the sport that we, you know, we know it is and, and, maximize that potential that we know this game's got it's a great game it's it's not sold and marketed well enough and it's not there's not enough people watching it so hopefully that's the the thing that collectively can be addressed over the years yeah so the spell at lee mate did that whet the appetite enough to go and have a look at swinton or how did the swinton <laughs> opportunity come about i wouldn't say whet the appetite i was quite <laughs> it was drifting into the background a little bit and i was doing a bit Helping out in amateur game, I, I sat on a couple of uh, committees and, and and helped out the uh, the Barler committee with the Lancashire setups and was helping a, a few friends of mine out in the in the amateur game and I was quite enjoying that to be honest and uh, <clears throat> I got asked and um, we'll probably go into a little bit more detail around players that have been associated with but I got asked yeah. by a couple of players and would I sponsor them and John Duffy who was the coach at Swinton yeah. I, I knew John from Lee and and. 
Stuart Littler was playing there. He's a friend of mine. So I, I got sort of uh, hooked to go down and sponsor a few games and the company, we put the company on the shirt and, and all that. And all of a sudden you, you're starting, you're getting drawn in, aren't you? You're on the, <laughs> yeah. And I got pulled in and then I, that was around the back end of 16, 17. And, and I think as, as 17 progressed, it was pretty clear they were, we were struggling financially and there was a few problems. You know, again, I think the alarm bells always start going up when there's rumours that players are not getting paid and there was a few issues, you know, and uh, and I just got sort of pulled into it really and asked to have a look at it. And there was myself and another sponsor got pulled into a, a meeting and the sort of level of debt and the problems were presented to us and it was a case of can you help and all your common sense and all your, all, all your best... Uh, you know, you, you, you sense and, and all your, I'm trying to think of the right words, the, you know, your, your best endeavours, you think, I need to walk away from this. I don't want to get involved in it, but a challenge is a challenge. Yeah, signing away. Yeah. So we, we got involved and, and uh, yeah. I think on the whole, you know, there was a little bit of controversy towards the end of my time there. But uh, on the whole, it was a successful period. We we turned it round both on and off the field and, uh mm. And the ninth 2019 season, the year I left at the end of that year, was the best season they'd had in many decades and broke a lot of club records. And we finished ninth in championship, which was the lowest funded team in that competition. Was you know, again, when you talk about success being relevant, I believe that was a good a good season that we had as a board and, a, and as a club as a whole. It was a, a good team effort. Yeah, and that's more than a turnaround, mate. A friend of mine played at Swinton, so just a few questions about. Swinton really is. Was it difficult to establish a home in an extra union ground? Was that difficult? Uh, yeah, I think they obviously before my time they'd been nomadic, hadn't they? You know, they they lost the uh, the station road ground in '92, and never really had a, a real home after that. And they settled at a few different locations. But the when you're in Championship, there's a certain criteria that the ground's got to got to meet and the minimum standard and, and I think the the previous venue they were using didn't so they moved to sale as a needs right. must really and uh, and they've actually made them made it a nice home for themselves there now and the good the people at Sale Rub Union are good people and uh, yeah and, and yeah it's, it seems to be a nice fit for them you know we had a good relationship with Sale I think they've continued that and it's just, it's a home in terms of uh Suppose always where your art is, and their art's always going to be in uh, in Station Road in Swinton. But as as homes go, I think it's the best one they've had since they left Swinton. Yeah, it's a, it is a decent little setup, mate. And I know I've played against Sale there a couple of times, like the semi-pro team, but they were amateur when I played. And yeah, it, you, you can't fault it, can you? No, no, and they're a very they're they're ambitious and they're progressing uh, really well. As a, a mate of mine is. Uh, Couple of couple of my friends are on the exec committee there, and and they've got some some ambitions, and they're doing really well. And what they do really well is the uh, you know the community engagement and the minis and juniors and and the mm. development, the really strong strong development club. So yeah, really, again, you know whether it's rugby league or rugby union, that what I've always found is that volunteer aspect, that development aspect, you know, and, and doing things for the the betterment of the community, you're on exactly the same page, regardless of whether it's legal or Foundations are the same, mate. Foundations are exactly the same. Uh, The other thing was, what people might not realise is, a lot of Super League 
talent in that Swinton team, weren't they? So he he's went about and signed really young lads, which it seems to be coming back round the young, a circle. But we'll talk about the Rochdale bit in a bit. Yeah. But like, so a friend of mine, Chris Atkin, played, and then you had Andy Ackers was there, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. Mike Butt's still there and still carving it up. Yeah. yeah. You had like a really young core sprinkled with that bit of experience. Think you know. How do you go out and find that young talent and how do you talk them into being at Swinton? Well, I think in terms of likes of Chris Atkin, um, Chris, um, when I talk about the financial situation they were in, Chris played a, a little bit of a role in, in helping us turn that around because we actually, one of the first things we did, we took a transfer fee for Chris from OKR. Yeah, okay, so, yeah. you know, he was probably, uh, played his little part in, in, in us getting the, finances right because that transfer fee contributed to us trying to straighten the finances out so yeah Chris was a yeah. uh, it, unfortunately he was going out the door as I was coming in but he, yeah. he was um, you know somebody again I, some of the best players that I've come across um, are, be- are good characters and, and good people and I think when you talk about Chris Atkin great family good man good person and uh and can, and can play rugby, but he's, he's uh, yeah. fundamentally he's a good guy, and yeah, they, they, yeah all the above, mate, definitely. All yeah. Them, yeah, all those players you mentioned, Mike Butt is of the same ilk. You know, he's one of those who can't do enough for you know he'll he'll go and see the fans at the end of every game. If 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 the you know the post protectors need bringing in, you'd think that would be the responsibility of others. He'll go and grab them. You know, he's got that. Yeah. He'll carry the bottles off the bus. He's got that ethic about him where he's a team player and not just within the team on the field, but the team within the club environment. So, you know, good people. I think, first of all, good people. Um, we had a core of them at Swinton and we were fortunate in the recruitment that we did because we had a bit of a nightmare 2018 because by the time I'd got got sort of stuck into it at the back end of 17, we'd missed a lot of the available talent and recruitment. Okay. We were sort of picking up players just really to... To, to fill a squad uh, in 18 and we had a bad year but 19 we sort of in the summer we laid down a bit of a recruitment strategy and a plan and, and identified where we'd want to be you know and uh, yeah. got some stuff done and we we targeted some some lads from in the amateur game the community game that, that came in and if you look at Matty Ashton for example Matty came for yeah. an opportunity um, he was identified as just you know a kid that had a bit of potential he came in oh, basically. Yeah, yeah, he came in in nineteen, and um, he broke he broke the club's record try try scoring record in a season, took the championship by storm, and I'll never forget it. We played at Lee, funnily enough, and I was flying out to Mallorca on the Monday morning. I was at Lee, and uh, <clears throat> my phone went. Well, we got I got to Mallorca, and I think I was just sat just sat having a, a beer, you know, nice quiet, thinking I've got a week of this great sunshine. <laughs> You know, putting my feet up and enjoying it. My phone went and uh, he'd scored four tries at Leek there before and there was a bit of a scramble for his signature. <laughs> so I had Al Fitzpatrick from Warrington ringing me. Uh, Simon Moran's asked me to give you a ring and we want this player. What, what do you want for him, basically? <laughs> Name your price. <Yeah. laughs> so that's the kind of story, really, where the very few of us in the game. But it was a bit of a scramble. Wigan came in for him. Yeah. Toronto at the time were looking at him. I think uh, Leeds had a bit of a nibble, and he just he just set the world on fire that season. And you know he was a, a classic example that I always say that if you you know you get 
you get your recruitment right and you you know that's a probably a freak one that you come in and, and take to it so naturally and, and do what he did but certainly if you're willing to give lads two or three years and develop them coach them and work with them you can get a lot of success stories and that's been proved with others and I'll probably go into names that uh, you know I've had dealings with and, and come across but there's some real good success stories that's come through Swinton in recent years certainly yeah and how do you how do you keep the wheels turning when you're on them like you know them waves of buzz and excitement and like finishing life is great you're going to all the, the, the bigger clubs aren't you you compete in this challenge cups come round, which I've no doubt all the lads look forward to. Plus, your lads are going work as well. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Like you talked about Mike Butt there, and his job's a graft. I see him on Instagram, and he doesn't stop, does he? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. To be fair, he's got again. You talk about work ethic. He's a grafter. He is a grafter, whether that be on the field or off the field. You know, he work. They work. <clears throat> it's in your DNA, isn't it? You know. Yeah. He, he just is a work, you know, a worker, a grafter, and uh, I think that that is there's a lot to be said for that. You know, you can you can fall short in terms of talent, um, mm. but you, you can't fall short if you want to be be you know certainly pushing towards Super League and an elite player. You, you can't fall short in terms of your work ethic, can you? You've got to be. You can't be outworked. No, you can never. Well, you should never be outworked, should you? No. You should. You know, there's always going to be somebody who's going to be bigger, better, faster than you. Well, they should never outwork, they should they? No. And you can accept that, like you just said, Andy, can't you? Someone might be technically or gifted or better than you. That doesn't matter. They might be quicker than you, a bit stronger than you. But as long as you're willing to do that extra hard 1% in front in, in side your mate or in front of your mate, that's what matters, doesn't it? And that's what them sort of clubs are built on, I imagine. They are, and I think, uh, you know, that's something where, because I do employ a lot of rugby lads and, and all the years of you know, giving apprenticeships and opportunities to mm. lads. And I've generally done, gone down the route of giving them to lads who I've seen that ethic in them on the field or, or, and in and around the rugby environment. I've thought, he's a grafter, you know, and, and, and if he applies that rugby mentality to, to business and to, you know, to a career opportunity, he'll do well. And, you yeah. know, I've, I've very rarely been let down by identifying, so bringing somebody into our business that's come from a rugby background. Because don't get me wrong, you know, there's, there's, there's not everybody's of that ilk. And, but if you, you get the right guys who've got the right mentality and, and, and work ethic about them, you can transfer that, whether it's from off the field, from on the field, off the field, can't they? And vice versa. Yeah. Vice versa. Yeah, because I think you can mould skill set, but you can't mould effort. No. It's nothing. either in, it's in them or it's not. It's inbuilt, isn't it? Yeah, it's in yeah. there. Again, yeah. I think a lot of it, you know, from a lot of the good lads that I've had dealings with who've, who've um, you know, come into my business or I've had personal dealings with and, and met the families. Again, like I said with myself, they generally always come from a good family who've had it yeah. instilled in them, you know. Uh, don't get me wrong, there's ones who, who, who haven't, but as a rule of thumb, every every player that I've known that's that's been of that ilk has always had a good family and a good good upbringing, you know, and, uh, and yeah. good people uh, attract good people, don't they? Yeah. So how, how is it when you sit down with them players, mate, whether it be to let go of them, to re-sign them, when you've approached them, um, when times are hard, when lads aren't getting paid, how are them types of chats? Because 
nothing can really prepare you for for the bad side of sport, can it? No, and I think that's why I've always tried to take an honest approach with it because I think one of the failings that I've seen when you go into clubs that have failed and are struggling is because they've been over-ambitious. They've probably set, you know, wage structures and offered contracts that they can't afford in reality. So I always remember my first words when I went to Swinton um, and I went in the dressing room as my first game as chairman and we needed to win to stay up. It was, the, it was classed as the, because you have the million pound game. Well, this was, I don't know if you remember, at the bottom of championship, uh, you basically, um, I'm, I'm telling a lie, I'm thinking about the working tone. This was the Oldham game. We needed to beat Oldham to stay up. So the loser of that game was going to finish second bottom and get relegated. And uh, we classed it, we, we, we to promote the game and advertise it, we classed it as the million penny game instead of the million pound game. Because the difference in funding, was, was about yeah. 100 grand. So it's like a million pennies or whatever the strap line yeah. was, I can't remember, but we put a bit of a, a thing around it and promoted it to get a crowd in, you know. And, but the, 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 I'm going, I'm rambling a bit, but the, no, the, that, that particular uh, game, I went in, in to the dressing room before the game and we put a win bonus on for that game, you know, an, an extra win mm. bonus. And I made them a promise and I said, listen, moving forward, I know we've had issues here. I know there's been payment issues. I said, you might not always get what you want. You know, don't get me wrong. We're not going to be throwing silly money about it. I said, but everything on any contract that I sign will get paid. So, you know, if you want to earn silly money, you might have to move to another club. But if you sign a deal here, you will get every penny that's on that contract. And I'll personally guarantee you. And from the day we're walking in the door at Swinton to the day I walked out, nobody ever missed a payment. So It was totally honoured. Yeah. every contract got honoured um, and that's you know where I am today because I've seen it too many times where lads have been over promised and, and not not been paid enough so I've paid what you know in some instances not been paid at all so it was one thing I was strong on really and uh, the coaches that I've had have always been strong on that and said you know let's make sure that we look after the lads we, we appreciate that cash is tight We've not got mega bucks, but whatever we do, promise, let's make sure we deliver it. And I've always tried to do that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with a bit of honesty, Andy, is there? No, I mean, it's always, you can't always be, you know, you can't always tell everybody what's going on to mm. the, you know, level of detail that, that you'd like to. But generally, I'm always pretty open with everybody, whether it be internally or even externally with fans. You know, I'll, I'll go and sit yeah. on fan forums and I'll, I'll engage on social media because... You know what? What I have found again is is there's a lot of uh, nonsense gets posted in in public domain on social media and forums, and rather than just let that grow arms and legs and and, and mischief makers, you know, uh, have a field there with it, I'd rather correct it if I can and put the facts in the yeah. into play. Yeah. So some Making people the bod mate in it, yeah, definitely. But, yeah, I mean, I do get criticised sometimes. People say, "Why do you bother? Leave it, you know, leave people to it," but. You know, when you're as passionate about what you're doing and you 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 know you you're as engrossed in what you're doing, you do take it personally sometimes. And you know, mm. people want to say things that are not true. It's it does you know you, it it can yeah. get to you a little bit. And, you know, that's just being the human, the human side of you. You know, you mm. not nice to read something that you know is, you know it's not not factually correct. Yeah, especially when they're not going to front that comment themselves if it's hid behind a cartoon picture with a a bad name and that, isn't it? But it no, it'll. It's mad what fans stick to. They'll stick to the negative a lot of the time, won't they? Because it's a narrative that people want to run with. 
that's why you can't beat fans forums, proper face-to-face yeah. forums. And, you know, you, don't get me wrong, you'll get asked some questions, you'll get people fire into you at times. But I think I'd rather have somebody who's, who's got the, you know, the, uh, the sort of guts to come and, and front you and say it to your face rather than, like you said, sniping via, via a keyboard at you. You know, it's uh, respect to anybody who fronts up and, and, and have their opinion because everybody is entitled to one at the end of the day. And some of the things we've took out of fans' forums where people have probably put it across critically, but we've taken that constructively and said, well, you know, you're right. We'll take that away and we'll source it, you know. And again, that's that communication and that honesty side of it where you know if you're willing to do it people hopefully feel that they do you know they do get listened to yeah and that's what them forums are for as well isn't it mate they're there for both sides to voice an answer or a question yeah you, you want to get important messages out there don't you you know and whatever club you're at at whatever size there's important messages and and things that you need to get out there and, and you can use the forum for that. But equally, I think it's a two-way street and they should always be used for that fan interaction and that fan engagement because, you know, they are, regardless of what your ownership model is in a club, your most important stakeholder, whether you be a supporters-run club or whether you've got a fat, you know, a benefactor and a, and a wealthy owner, regardless of that ownership model, your, your key your key stakeholder is always your fans, isn't it? So, your fans, yeah. We've got to give that um, respect and that, that engagement, and uh, and give them the the time, the, the time and the input that they deserve. What's the atmosphere like around the club when you're in the type of game that you was against Oldham, mate? How do you how do you keep things positive and smiley when people are probably on edge, aren't they, and worrying about the futures? Yeah, it's a tough. I mean, that's the thing. Is uh, we I had a couple. Two years back to back, we ended up with coming down to games on the final day of the season, um, and and it was a uh, eighty minutes to know which division you were going to be in, yeah. uh, and we we had that first one where my very first game as chairman, we beat Oldham to stay up, and Oldham yeah. were relegated, and then the following year we um, only remember they did a restructure, and we were technically relegated. We finished bottom, but we got a lifeline, and we actually ended up in a playoff against Workington who were in League One and it all came down again to another 80 minutes of rugby and we had to beat Workington to secure our championship survival and status for the following year so touch wood I've come out the right side on those two but they're they're not the nicest experiences because you know the impact you know the financial impact of straight away in that instance it was 100 grand off you off your central distribution the following year. And it's a long way back when you're relegated as well. As we found yeah. at Rochdale, it's a big challenge to... to the, the League One competition, is a, it's a tough old uh, league to get out of and to be competitive in. You know, we've found that out um, the last few years being, in, being at Rochdale. It's a, it's a difficult division. So how did the Rochdale opportunity come about, mate? And, and what made it viable to you? Yeah, well, obviously we we left as I touched on really, and not going over all ground on that. But we had yeah. ambitions to rebrand the club uh, at Swinton. We were looking to um, just for from a commercial um, perspective and, and to capture that Manchester audience. We wanted to just brand change the the branding of the club really, and and, and brand it up as Manchester Lions rather than Swinton, which wasn't popular and and sort of got a negative reaction to a point where we felt we needed to just um, 
you know, call it a day and, and, and sort of move on, which we did as a board, yeah. not just myself. We moved on as, a, as an entire board. And <clears throat> I had no intentions. Again, like the Lee thing, you don't really see yourself as, uh, I've done my bit now and I'm out, you know, I'm free. It's like that yeah. day you get out of jail, isn't it? And you, I'm, I'm going home, <laughs> I'm out uh, No, but you're back in Mallorca <laughs> with your paint thinking I'm done. <laughs> but yeah, we, I, I sort of came out of that one and um, it was a phone call because, I kept in touch as we were speaking about the camaraderie between uh, clubs. And I, I was taking calls from John Flatman up at York and Mark Sawyer at Dewsbury, all these guys. We kept in touch with each other. I actually still attended a few meetings that them guys have, you know, just bits of meetings that where clubs keep in touch with each other. And I was sort of still in that loop. And then Steve Kerr, who was chief exec at Rochdale, he, he still works for us now, Steve. But Steve contacted me and just said, uh, Initially, sort of span it, span it around a bit of sponsorship, but then pitched a bit of an idea around maybe coming in. And they were a fan-owned club at the time, um, so it was a, a sort of society fan-owned model. And he pitched an idea around potentially if there was a, a willingness to come in, the, the takeover, the, the potentially look at uh, a different way of doing things and a new ownership model. So got sold a bit of a vision around that. To be fair, by Steve and. And uh, this before somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, to be fair, there was a lot of potential, and we still see that potential in Rochdale because it's a it's a big borough in its own right. It's yeah. one of the ten Greater Manchester boroughs, and you know there's only really um, there's no real Super League club on the doorstep as such, and there's a strong community game with Rochdale Mayfield there. So yeah. we felt that there was some potential, um, and at that point in time, uh, we we thought thought it was worth having a crack at. We didn't see, uh, if I'm being honest, that within months of taking it on, I didn't see it. I don't think any of us saw a global pandemic coming, did no, we? Bit. No, bit. <laughs> so it was obviously that. And then since that point, there's also been the central distribution, the sky monies have reduced. So we've found ourselves with a bit of challenge, bit of a challenge on our hands with Rochdale, if I'm honest. And we've had a few yeah. issues this this last season with um, with our sort of landlord and the stadium football club we've had a few issues around that which have created some problems so it's been a difficult time to be honest um since taking it on but we've sort of um we, we we're in a good place i think at the moment we've um we've reevaluated where we were we've gone for a different route in terms of you know the last few years we've probably we've gone gone for um what what you'd call instant gravy with some more experienced type players and your angie chases your fooies Sean Pankovic's of the world were been there, done it, senior pros. Um, they all come at a cost, don't they? Whereas this this particular yeah. sort of new vision under Gary, you know, Gary's been given a his remit is to get a young team, get a, a team that can be developed and grow over the next few years, really, no major pressure. Good to go out and you know, we're not tasking him with anything silly. I think they'll set their own goals. We'd know where we'd like to be, but I don't think anybody's going to be talking up talking us up as favourites or one of the favourites. <clears throat> and I think we just want to have a, a really competitive team, a young team, and one that gives 100% for the shirt, the fans can buy into. And you can see there's potential with it and some development there as well, you know. Yeah, you see where, where you end up, mate, isn't it? That's yeah. the one, really. So, we're not, you know, we're not, we're not setting any silly targets. I think it's all going to be about Hopefully it's a new team, so hopefully they'll gel well. Hopefully we can be competitive and, you know, if you can get into the playoffs, then you never know what happens in the playoffs then, do you? That's it, mate, 100%. So I, I appreciate you 
your vision on the recruitment and that's changed. But them three characters that you speak about there, they they drive, I imagine, standards. They require something to believe in. They can't, they need to play for something, I guess. Like I've had Rangi on and Rangi really surprised. I don't know what I expected off Rangi, but I didn't expect him to be as humble and modest as he was. Yeah. Um, how do, you, how do you get people like Rangi, Sean and Fui into the club? And Yeah, I think what, what I've always found is it's all about sort of, it's all about who you know, really, and networks and connections. So, you know, your, your coaches are always instrumental in that because they'll have, you know, they'll have, uh, in, in Sean Penkovich's case, he was a good friend of our previous head coach, Matt Callan. So that's how Sean ended up at Rochdale. Uh, Fui, I had... Uh, you, you know, again, Fui, Fui knew Sean from playing at Workington with him. I knew Fui uh, from a little bit of involvement at, at previous clubs. So it's always a little bit of who you know and what you know type of thing. And and uh, yeah, I think Rangi came up really as we, you know, he'd moved down to West Wales and we'd actually signed an halfback, uh, a lad called Rob Furclough. He, he, he came over from Swinton with us and... Uh, he was going to be a big player for us, Rob. You know, he was a, he's a real talent. Yeah. And, and he had a serious injury um, very early on in, in that first season. So we needed an halfback, basically. And we looked at what was available and who was available. We just got wind that, that uh, Rangi was probably going to be leaving West Wales due to, you know, the travelling and the issues. He yeah. wasn't happy there. And we got wind that he might be coming available. And we sort of, uh, you know, we, we made a few inroads into that. And, Myself and Matt went and met him at the time, and we uh, we convinced him that Rochdale we had a bit of ambition and we wanted to go places, and we had a good side, and it just needed his bit of magic to put the cherry on the cake, sort of thing. And you know, he bought into that, and he came and signed for us, and um, he, it was an absolute dream that his debut. He, he, I think we were playing North Wales, not West Wales, and in the first twenty minutes, he absolutely ran the show. And he was just, you know, it was like, we've cracked it here. This is going to be yeah, the... Different gravy. And he went into a tattle, really innocuous, and uh, caught his arm and snapped his arm, forearm. That was 20 minutes into his debut. So, you know, that was the kind yeah. of look we were in that year. You know, we'd brought in a, a top championship halfback in Rob from Swinton, who we knew could do a job. And Matt was rubbing his hands when I said, I can get Furclough in. He was like, just let's do it, you know. And we yeah. got Rob through the door. Three or four games in, Rob snapped his uh, cruciate his cruciate ligament and all kinds of other damage in his knee, which it was just an absolute nightmare for the kid. That and, and yeah. you know, real, really good, still gutted now when I think about that because uh, the lad was, you know, it, it was his first game. Rob, Matt had made him captain, and he again he was running the show, all's going well, and just out of nowhere his knee went give way on him and. So yeah, we, we had nothing but bad luck, you know. But for bad luck, we wouldn't have had any that year. That's what twenty one season. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we lost Rangi straight away on his debut, and he only literally came back towards the back end of the season, and we actually missed out on the playoffs. Believe it or not, we finished seventh. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't a great season to be honest. And uh, you know that was the the year where you were on and off with COVID as well, and we started behind closed doors and. You know, it's just, horrendous for the business model, mate, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. it was, genuinely, you know, yeah. none of this was on the on the ever on the, uh, the the table or the cards at the time we no. took the club on. You just couldn't have seen it, could you? No, mate, no. And I don't know why I've never asked anyone this, but do you know what? Say at your level, when someone gets an injury, like Rob's, 
because without being rude to Rangi, it's a six to eight week thing, isn't it? It's like yeah. it's yeah. it's pretty generic. Um, how how the how, how does Rob go about fixing that? The the you help him? Is it NHS job? Is it? It, unfortunately, I mean, it was a, a difficult time because it, it does fall under NHS. We don't have okay. the, the lads at that level unless they take out private uh, medical insurance themselves, yeah. which we advise them to do. They only get the standard cover, you know, the RFL yeah. insurances and we don't have private medical cover. So, yeah. you know, it, it's a difficult one whereby an injury like that, you're literally going on the NHS waiting list. Um, yeah. But with Rob, it was really... Uh, really gutted and he was on a two-year contract we took Rob on a two-year contract and I had to have because it was pretty it became pretty clear that he was pretty much for the duration of that contract he was done he was finished really yeah he tried Mark of the kid he, he tried coming back and played he wanted to play he took advice to say that you can't make it any worse and he tried yeah. to play with it at the back end of the year and and he, he put his hand up for, for us and tried his best and you know, um, that was a mark of the lad, really, but he wasn't the same because he couldn't, you know, it was yeah. impossible to play with that kind of injury. And His lines are running, and that for listeners and viewers that don't know, it's very restricted. You're basically a straight line runner, aren't you? You can't he was really, step and nothing. Yeah. And, and to be fair to him, the way he played with that kind of injury was remarkable, really. He did, he did all yeah. his own, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the dynamic little cheeky little halfback jinking about and, yeah, he wasn't you know he couldn't play his own game, and then it became apparent that obviously he wasn't going to be available for the duration of that contract, and we had to have those difficult conversations around settlements and and uh, and, and and final a final agreement with him around that. And it's always they're not nice conversations to have with, with, with lads because you sort of um, you know you you're basically admitting between yourselves that you're not going to be able to see out your contract, aren't you? Which you know, yeah. you, at the beginning, when I signed, I went and signed him the day we signed him. You know, I, I felt like it was Christmas and he was excited about coming to Rochdale. To end the way it did was really sad. And, and you know, I'm still gutted about that one now, if I'm honest, because uh, yeah. when you think about what might have been and how things could be different, a fit Rob, Rob Fairclough all that year in 21, I think the season plays out differently. We certainly yeah. made the playoffs and I think... I didn't see anything in that playoff series that we couldn't have beat. So, you know, it's just those little things, isn't it, where even had, even losing Rob, I'd, I'd be kept Rangi fit and he got us in the playoffs. Going into a, a playoff series with a fully fit and firing Rangi Chase, I still think we'd have, you know, we'd have a chance. It's a different game. Yeah, different yeah. Game, but that sport, you know, that sport, and mm. uh, you, you, can, you can't look back, can you? You've just got to look forward and move on. That's it. And, when we talk about the models change, mate, so you've you've signed someone that I'm aware of and with, with Rugby Union Club and aware of in Andy Clark and a few young lads, mate, and and does it take much persuading when the young lads are full of it? Because Andy's certainly full of the energy, full of ambition, because he's very and he, he's fit as a fiddle. Again, he's someone that grafts and that and he's just got a harness, that sort of thing, I suppose, haven't you? And and nurture him. You do, you do, and Andy's name was um, brought to us. We um, towards the back end of last season because we changed coach last year, and yeah. um, Gary Thornton is West Yorkshire based. So obviously, previously he was coaching Unsley, and he's been at um, primarily over at West Yorkshire club. So his yeah. player pool knowledge is probably um, very strong on his own patch over there in Yorkshire. 
but less so maybe over this side. So I brought in a guy um, who, who came along who I know quite well from the amateur game and, and he's been involved. Um, he's an RFL coach, developer, talent ID guy, Jason. And, and um, I just said, we, we're looking at going down a different route here. We want to we want to identify some talent over this side of the uh, the Pennines and in the local areas. And he came up with, um, you know, he did some work and some talent identification work and came up with a, you know, a number of players that he felt could step into the pro game and really, really step in and, and, and prove themselves. And Andy's name was on that list. And uh, and he, he got a few bits of clips and one thing and another, but he said to me, this kid's got a bit of something about him and, uh, and let, you know, worth Gary having a look at. And Gary had a look and said, yeah, let's get him in and, uh, and have a look. And um, it's very early days, but I think he, uh, as you say, he's got, He's got a bit of something about him. He's got a good step. He's, he's yeah. a fit lad, isn't he? And, um, he is, and mate. Yeah, and he can knock a goal over if you need goal. one as well. And, yeah, he can yeah. kick a goal. He's um, so excited to see where his career goes, you know. And I think that's the commitment from us as a club is that, you know, we want to we want to help develop these lads as well. It's not just giving them an opportunity and throwing him in at the deep end. It's about giving them an introduction to this level, but with a view to establishing themselves, you know, over a number of years, really, and becoming... Yeah. You know, I believe that some of these lads can, you know, they can get familiarised with League One this year and uh, and we, you know, can push towards that championship. But seeing it on a number of occasions, whereas we spoke about Matty Ashton, you know, they, yeah. they can they can they can have aspirations of Super League. It don't mean you're finished at 20, in your early 20s, does it? Not at all, mate, not at all. No. You can still aspire for the top and you can still get there. That's it, yeah. If you just go about your daily business, mate, and be astute and clever with it, and like, like we've said right through it, probably to be honest, the mantra of the chat's been hard work and honesty, hasn't it? And it's been it's been a common theme within this conversation. Yeah. It's uh, it's two things that, that if you said to me, write down some some key words what you, you you'd implement in what you do in your day job and you in rugby. I think that honesty, integrity, hard work, they're all the things that you try and put all over it. You know, yeah. you, you, you try and put that into your kids. You try and put that into you know, into everything you do, don't you? Mm, yeah. So, a silly question, really, because we've mentioned it a bit. So, your overall target, really, is just to be a fit squad, a happy squad, competitive squad, whatever that takes. You, you, you just ride the wave, mate. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, the, Gary's remit for the job is he's been given half of, of essentially the the playing budget. We've had to because of other issues and one thing yeah. or another. We've had to. We, you know, we, we, we spent top three type money for the last couple of years and had a go at really pushing at the top end of that table and we've had to pull back on that. Um, so Gary's remit really as a coach is a bit different to, to Matt's. You know, we're not, uh, not, don't get me wrong, we've got ambition, we want to be in the mix. Where I think we're, where we're going is with, with, there's a little bit more patience, there's a little bit more understanding that it's a new group, it's a young group and they will need time. Um, and understanding that we're not necessarily it's not boom or bust in this next 12 months we want to build a team that can you know that can that, that, that can that can kick on over the next couple of years whether that be at league one level or hopefully progressing into championship but i guess it's not what, what i'm saying is it's not championship or bust it's not all about we've got to get to championship because it's not the promised land anymore to be to be honest when we spoke earlier about staying in it it was always that hundred thousand pound difference in funding that's not there anymore right you know it's literally we're on about 18 grand's worth of funding at rochdale believe it or not 
yeah. and the difference is you might get an extra 15 20 if you go up so it's not, not the like changing, is it? yeah. it's not the, the promised land financially and no. uh, you know if unless you can go in there and really have a good go at it and throw throw some money at it you're pointless being in there to some degree because you've got to go in strong Keithley are going to go in strong this year Barrow the year before went in strong so they they built a championship team or the basis of a championship team in League One and I think that's the way to do it so what we want to do is we've set that process in motion with a young side we'll add to we'll try and build a team that can go into championship add value and stay in there rather than just get up and then think how do we stay here you know it's not it's not good for anybody. It's just no. proven working to me. Got pretty much, you know, uh, they, they, they had a bad year and they, they bounced, they came straight back down. And I don't think it's good for any club that I think if you're going into a division, you need to be able to be competitive. Yeah. Going. So we want to build a team. Gary's remit has been let's get back to square one, get the discipline right because it was level that us that discipline was poor, get the yeah. culture right, get everything right, get a good core of young lads in. And then you know if we need you know if, if we're progressing and we're doing well we can maybe add two and and have a little bit of a, a roll of the dice but it's not a, you know there'll be sides in there who are throwing money at it this year we're not one of them we're yeah. going very sensible and sustainably about what we do you know yeah living to your means aiming for longevity really mate it's again well, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that at all yeah that's been forced on us because of the situations you know that we spoke about earlier we've, we've had to yeah. do that to to, to, to you know to sustain the club and make sure we're not putting it at risk. Ultimately, the degree of yeah. risk in everything you do, but I don't want that risk to, you know, be uncomfortable and I'm not sleeping at night. So we're going about things as sensible as we can and and, and still got that ambition to try and progress. So, man, mate. So I've got a few daft questions for you. <laughs> okay, right. here we go. So pre-match superstitions, have you got any? To be honest, I never, never did really. No, no, I never. Um, I, th- I was probably because I didn't play into my adult years. I was probably too young, really, to, to you know, you're really relatively carefree in your younger days, yeah. aren't you? As a junior, so I was never. I, I do know lads who they wouldn't put the shirt on till they left the dressing room, or yeah. you know, there's all these different type of things. But no, no, it's not something that ever bothered me really. It was just um, you just wanted. I, I, you look forward all week to a game of rugby, and when you when you're in dressing room, you just want to be on the field. I never thought yeah. about anything other than getting out there. Really. <laughs> <laughs> what about in the role you're in now, mate? Is there out you do? <clears throat> I think in terms of superstitions, really. That, I'm trying to think as we're talking. Really, I've not never really thought about it, no. but that I'm, I'm sure that there'll be little silly things and and, and things there I do that. Um, people will be saying, "Well, he does that and he does that," but there's nothing coming from routine mind. to you. Yeah. It's more routine for me. What I do, I'm yeah. quite, I'm quite sort of setting my ways in that respect. I do things religiously every morning, so I have the same breakfast. I have, I have a cup yeah. of coffee with my breakfast at the same time. I, I sit and check my emails. Certain, I jump in the shower unless I've got something, an arrangement I need to be yeah. at. Yeah, I do the same thing every morning. And I have a bit of a right. sight. When I get into office, I do. I, I sit down. I do the same thing every morning. I'll open my post. I'll do my, my emails. I'll, I'll have a call log that I need to make. So I'm quite yeah. in, in regimental, routine, regimental yeah. in that way. But yeah. but yeah, no suspicions as such. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I don't enough, do anything, uh, 
I don't have any particular colour socks that I need to wear. Or, <laughs> Just Wednesdays. <laughs> so the toughest player you've played with and against or toughest player you've come across. <laughs> and the definition of tough is very different for everybody, mate. It is, yeah. And I, and I think what always comes to mind is Paul Sculthorpe, Scully, um, one of them shoulder injuries we spoke about was a result of being flattened by Scully. So, um, yeah. He, yeah, Scully. He, was, <laughs> he, was, he actually played, in terms of age, he was younger than us. And he right. played up, up up years, you know. And, uh, and yeah, he was probably hardest. Uh, in terms of Scully was tough and hard in, in every way. You know, they say there's different definitions. Yeah. Well, I think Scully was one who he played tough. He tackled hard, he ran hard. But if if it ever sort of a lad zay, he, he, could he was happy to roll. roll with it, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. 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 I think every definition yeah. of toughness you could you could argue Scully was for for me for me because that's just a personal yeah. thing. Having played against him, I've never never uh, obviously I didn't progress to, to to professional ranks or anything. But even at uh, you know them ages when he's at 16, 17, and you're trying to stop him, you know, it, 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 <laughs> he was a man then. It took a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and an absolute gent as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to him now and again, and and uh, his brother Danny, obviously, has got a connection with Rochdale, and really yeah. good lads and salt of the earth, you know, rugby people, aren't they? Yeah. So, your favourite away ground, mate? Funnily enough, you know, I'm not just saying it because we were there, but I always liked the old, we were talking about it at Witness. I like the old Norton Park. Yeah. I like the old grounds because obviously, um, I know we've moved on and times are different, but you've been up in a Mandy, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, the fond memories of the old Central Parks and the Norsley Roads, the, the Norton Park. We were, because we played at Witness, we um, yeah. one of, had a couple of guests in, in our box on that day. And Christian Tyra, who played at Witness, I don't remember Christian. Yeah. Uh, he's lads with us now. Key, Key and plays for us. So Christian was right. with us, and he brought Darren Wright with him, and was talking about the uh, World Club Challenge because Darren Wright played in centre, if you remember, against uh, yeah. Canberra for Witness. So we were having a good chat about the old days and the uh, the you know the great Witness teams, and talking about Norton Park and and the u- unique sort of feel it had to it. You know that old cages that used to come out. And you could it was out. yeah, bang on it, and that yeah. Like, yeah. But again, the boulevard at Hull, I remember going to the boulevard, which was, I think, what, what I liked about them, they were quite intimidating places. Mm. So I always like, you know, while while people would go, oh, you know, boulevard, not park, they, you know, Hilton Park, they weren't the best, but they were char- they had character, didn't they, in the atmosphere. Yeah, like town coliseums, weren't they, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Was, they were Fans wanted blood, didn't they? Fans wanted violence at times. You, when you were coming out of, of, of lights at Boulevard, all of me were, you know, I used to go up there and watch Lee, and you, you were literally chased out of there. You were, you know, yeah. people were wanting to get you, didn't they? You know, and uh, I think as a young lad, there's a bit of that that sort of adrenaline and that rush. Um, yeah. You know, you, you remember them places more than some oh, of these plush stadiums that you go to now. To be fair, you know, uh, the Sports Village and, and, and lights of. Witnesses ground now, it's a different place, yeah. isn't it? But, yeah, yeah, probably Norton Park. I've, I've said it a couple of times on podcasts and things where uh, I've been asked that question, and, and the old grounds, particularly the Hilton Parks, Norton Parks, etc. Mm. I, I do like the older grounds, yeah, <laughs> right, mate. So, if you, you know, and you've had a few, and the mic's in your hand, what you're giving us, what karaoke song are you blasting out? 
I, I can knock a tune out now and again on karaoke. Yeah. And I'll, I'll probably go with uh, Mike the Knife. Right. <laughs> <laughs> bit, of, bit of something like that, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. An old crooner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is a, a new question. I got asked it when I done mine, and it it shocked, shocked me a little bit. But what would you say to a younger you now? I think um, one thing I would say is is, is with um, age and maturity, I think you become more patient. Yeah. So I'd, I'd probably say in my earlier life, um, I was pro- probably not as patient as what I am now and, and everything was 100 mile an hour and had to be done that minute. Whereas, you know, I'm probably a little bit more sort of slow down and think about it now rather than a bull in a china shop approach. So... You know, I, I always try and say that to, you know, guys who work for me or the people I work with when the, you know, they come storming into meetings and, you know, you can see they're having a bad day. I've always try and just say, slow down, have a minute, go make a, go make a brew, have a think about it. And then, you know, but you give it 10 minutes, you'll feel a bit differently, you know. And same with emails, you can jump on an email, can't you? And you, you, you're quick to respond and your response sometimes you, You'll regret if you send it, whereas I'll say slightly out of context or something, yeah, yeah. depending I'll, on your state. Yeah. I'll type an email at night now and I'll go to bed, read it again in the morning. And I'd say probably five times out of ten, I delete it rather than send it. Yeah. So, you know, lessons learned, bit 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 more slow down a bit, think a bit more. Um, certainly patient a lot more patient. That's probably if I, I like was that. advising myself as a younger man, I'd probably say. That's what I'd say to myself. Slow down a bit, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I do. I like that, mate. So, if you're happy to, mate, a one to thirteen of people you've played with or you've come across in your time on the other side of the fence. Yeah, that's that's a good a good question, and and I think without doubt we touched on Matty Ashton. I'd have to be my fullback because um, right. for all the reasons we spoke about, you know, he came as a kid wanting an opportunity, walked yeah. through the door, walked through the door in January as a as a young kid wanting an opportunity and walked out the door in October as a Super League player and with a, a significant transfer fee. So I think that's a, a rags to riches tale really that I've been proud to just be associated with and part of, you know. Um, yeah. Well, that's my fullback. Um, again, yeah. Mike Butt, Mike Butt you spoke about on your, on, on the wing, you know, yeah. just through, again, through his honesty, his, his, his attitude, his work ethic and, uh, and he can play as well. Don't get me wrong; it's not all about that with Mikey's. I think that year Matty Ashton broke club try scoring records, but he pushed him all the way and scored over twenty tries, and has consistently performed at championship level. So, Matty there, yeah. I think in the in the centres, Chris Ankinson. Um, yeah. Chris was at Lee when I was at Lee playing reserves, and he moved on to Barrow and then signed at Swinton. He was at Swinton when I was at Swinton. Yeah, oh, so you came. had a little insight on him, did you? Yeah, yeah. So he'd been yeah. a full-time player, and he was starting thinking about. Um, he moved to Swindon, and he was thinking about careers and what he wanted to do away from the game. And he came and had a sit down with me, and I gave him a, a, an apprenticeship. And he right. came on board at, at my business as a as an electrical uh, engineering apprentice, and and um, he was doing that and playing at Swindon, playing well for us at the time. And he, he ended up on the radar of Wigan. So yeah. ended up one Saturday morning. Wigan had a bit of a tough time with injuries. And um, we got the phone call to say we've been monitoring him with a view to next year, but we're struggling in centres. 
is there any chance we can do a deal? So yeah. we ended up, we met Sean Wayne one morning, myself, uh, Chris, Stu Littler, we met Wayne and Chris Radlinski. He signed for Wigan on the Saturday. Uh, sorry, we met on the Saturday, he signed on the Monday and he played his debut against St. Helens on, live on Sky on the Thursday night. Some week that, isn't it? It was. So we, we went to yeah. the game where we, Chris Radlinski invited us and we, we went and watched his debut and as I say, live on Sky, so he, you know, from training with us on Saturday morning as a part-time player to nipping yeah. across the Stone Cross, we met we met Wayne and, and Rads. He signed the contract on the Monday morning. We did deal with them and got to you know reimburse for his services and yeah. he signed the deal on the Monday morning and he made his debut on the Thursday. Proud moment, mate, I've no doubt. Yeah, it was good to be again. Yeah. And, and and obviously I, um he was working for me at that time as well. So it was literally I'm ringing his site supervisor up saying, Chris isn't going to be in this week. He's signed for Wigan. We had to work with him on that and he's shuffled his college around and I supported yeah. him with that process because he couldn't, he had to train full time at Wigan. And, yeah. Yeah, but really proud to be involved in, in his success and he moved on to uh, Toulouse. Had a good season with Toulouse last year and he's now yeah. So always keep an eye on how his career is going. And again, family wise, his dad, Gary, and his mum. His mum, Paula, you know, really nice people, salt of the earth people, you know, who've, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? You know, yeah, people, creating good people, if you like. Yeah. Uh, the centre, Stu Littler, who, yeah. who, who was at Lee as a player when obviously I was involved there. I've known him obviously through through knowing him in, around the town for a long time, but he was involved, he was a, a Lee player, and we won the Northern Rail Cup in 13. He played in that game, yeah. And then, he retired and he went over with Duffs to Swinton and I ended up going over there and then he was my head coach. I worked with him as a an head coach for a couple of years at Swinton and, and again we had we had some uh, good times together and a bit of relative success with that side and you know from keeping him up he, he got thrown in at the deep end Stuart in 17. Yeah. John left John Duffy left to go to Featherston and Stu got the job and he kept him up in that Oldham game and then we had a tough season the year after and stayed up and then 19 was the best season the club club had had in decades. So I had some good times with Stuart as, as my head coach over there. And probably on the other wing, um, there's a kid at, at Rochdale at the minute. Uh, I don't really want to alert too many people to him. <laughs> yeah. I can mute it here if you want. <laughs> I Dan Nixon, who's cut, he came through the Otwood Hall Academy and he's played the last couple of seasons for us. And he's got all them all marks of, of what we've just spoken about. He's a real honest kid. He's tough as tough as teak. Um, he's brave as brave as anything. Not not frightened of anything. And but key key to him for me is his work ethic and 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 his attitude. I see a lot of a lot of what I've seen in 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 likes of Mike Butt in in young Dan. And I think you know I think he will have a chance of moving on to not hopefully not for a long while yet, but moving maybe into Championship and outside chance at some stage. You may be playing Super League. So. Again, I'm probably doing doing ourselves no favours by highlighting him, but he is a yeah. good kid. So, halfbacks Josh Woods, Woodsy comes come yeah. through at, um, at Lee East and is a product of the Wigan uh, Wigan system. But fortunate enough, I know Josh and his family, I know his dad Mick, but was fortunate enough to have him on on dual reg at Swinton, and it got to a point where we had the difficulty here in 2018. We, um, it was literally if Woodsy played, you had a chance of winning. If he didn't, you didn't. It was right. that good. It was that yeah. good. 
he's now uh, he was at Newcastle last year. He's just signed at Batley, yeah. but again, another kid that you know, he's absolutely um, he's an old school standoff. He's he's got the John Woods, the Tony Milers in him. You know, he's uh, okay. yeah. You know, everything he can do it all in a dinner suit. You know, and kicking game superb. So Josh, a lot of time for Josh. Yeah. Yeah. And my seven would be the lad we touched on earlier, Rob Fairclough. Obviously, it didn't end the way we would have liked to have done it at Rochdale and didn't go the way we'd like to have done. But took Rob on loan from uh, St. Helens, who was stuck for an half-back. Stu needed an half-back at the time and loaned him from Saints. And then uh, he was getting released at the end of that season and we managed to convince him to come to Swinton. And uh, another one who, brave as anything, tough as anything, and a proper, what I call a proper scrum half, you know, a, a cheeky little character who, yeah. you know, punches above his weight, he fights anybody, daft as a brook, you know, <laughs> a real, real good kid. And, and as I said, yeah. my, my biggest regret and my biggest, uh, or biggest disappointment in recent years is probably the way it ended with Rob, really, because he could have been the big, he, I think he would have been the difference for us in that 21 season. Yeah. But forwards, uh, prop forwards, I'd go with Fui. Um, yeah. Just because of his, um, you know, to be fortunate enough to just have, have him around the place. And, you know, we had some tough, tough times and Fui always put his hand up, to be fair. And, you know, he was getting on, but he would he would always try and do his, put his shift in on the field. And, and mm. great for the younger lads and some of the, some of the young players and the young forwards and, and middles around just mixing with Fui and being able to watch the same field as him, you know. Uh, a yeah. lot of that, when you know when he when he was arriving and come coming to Rochdale, it was like you were just buzzing to be able to play with him. So yeah, similarly yeah. for me to, to sign him, go and sign him because he came to Lee just as Derek was signing him at Lee as I left. So they were mm. doing the work to bring him over from Australia. He'd had, he'd been over here and based here for the, the World Cup in thirteen, I think it was. So I I got wind and I knew Derek told me he was signing him. Um, and then to be able to take him to Rochdale was brilliant, you know. Yeah. Real real marquee signing in a lot of ways. I know he was obviously past his best and he was getting on, but in terms of his name and his profile, it was great for what we did as a club in the last yeah. couple of years. Um, Uka, number yeah, I nine. I agree with that. Yeah. Number nine, a lad called Anthony Nicholson. I don't know if you remember him. He, he started at Lee, um, so I was obviously involved with him at Lee, Lee Miners' products. Um, he went up to Batley and then he moved to Swinton just as I was getting involved at Swinton around that time. And another one, I, I ended up in a, on a car journey with him because drugs testers pulled him out, you know, randomly when they yeah. pulled him. And, and, and I drove him home. I waited. Paul Rowley, who was a coach at the time, said to me, Will you wait with these two lads because we want to get the coach moving? So I drove him and a, a, another lad, Ryan Duffy, back from Barrow, believe it or not. Mm. And, you know, when you get chatting in a car and you're talking, and he wasn't happy in his career and what he was doing for work, and he was asking a lot of questions about what I did and was there any opportunities. I ended up giving him a, a, an apprenticeship, and he came right. on board He came on board with me at, at our place, and real good worker, real good grafter, keen to learn. And, uh, yeah, he was a good player for us at Swinton, but then, he served his time, he came out of his time and then moved to what he's over in Australia now. But yeah, yeah. real good. And, and again, same theme, good family, good people. His dad, Keith, and his mother, they're involved at Lee Miners Rangers. Good rugby league people, good family, good upbringing and great character, you know, cracking lad, real, real, uh, not just in the in the club, but in my business. He was 
well liked by all the guys as well, you know. So that's Nick. You also have a bed in Australia if you never need to go over now, don't it? That's it, you might be all right. Work on my head down, but yeah, me, me other prop, I'd, I'd probably go with uh, Jamie Acton. Yeah. Jamie was, a, again, he signed at Lee when I was there and <clears throat> big, angry southerner, big, 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 tough lad. Um, he played a little bit at Wigan, he'd gone to Workington, he'd been around a bit. And he came in at Lee when I was there and, um, you know, probably not your traditional rugby league um, type person, player, call it what you will, but a real handful, a real tough, tough lad. And I was fortunate enough to be able to, yeah. when, he, when he left Lee, I managed to do a deal to get him over to Swinton. He joined us and uh, probably another bad luck story, really, because he, he played that 2019 season. I think he only played five times and got a serious... Uh, Spinal injury, which finished yeah. him. Finished yeah. him. I, I still believe to this day his impact on that dressing room because he came in and, and changed the way they thought, the mentality. You know, he, he was uh, he was an hard lad and a tough lad, and he put that. I think he instilled that into a few younger lads. You know, don't don't right. take a back step. Don't take, come with me. But mm. you know, we would back off, or we wouldn't sort of. As lads say, ripping or whatever you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's few games that he had with that Swinton side. I think he instilled still that mentality in some forwards, and uh, so while he only played an handful of games, he, he was fundamental that year for me in in the cultural side of it, and yeah. the you know the mentality side. I, I believe he had a big impact. So yeah, Jamie would be certainly be there uh, on, on me, you know, my me, me best thirteen that have been involved. Yeah. Second row, Frankie Alton. Um, we picked Frankie. Frankie was in the reserve side at Lee when, again, when I was involved at Lee, and he went to North Wales and drifted out at Pro Game. Uh, ended up back at Lee Miners, not really looking like he was really overly bothered. Really? Looking on, yeah. yeah. And, and he got himself in, in good nick. He was enjoying playing back with his mates at Miners, and we, uh, we brought him in for that 2019 season just for an opportunity on match money. And right. he came in and ripped it up. I gave him a new contract at back end of that season on mm. decent, reasonable money for that particular club. And, yeah. and the following season, Featherstone came in for him. He was at Featherstone for 12 months and okay, I snapped him up. He's now playing Super League week in, week out, getting some big raps. Yeah. Big raps and uh, he's just playing at World Cup with Ireland. So again, it just shows you there is some... Uh, some hidden gems in that community game, if you're willing. There is, mate. Yeah, definitely. And work with them as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so Frankie, the other second role is the uh, lad called they call the time bomb, Tommy Goulding. Um, he he was another one who <clears throat> he's worked with, with our business and and still does a bit now as a subcontractor now and again. And uh, another another Lee lad, but he did play at Rochdale and uh, <clears throat> he's just a, a real tough hard work when you talk about that that instilling that work ethic Tommy was just top tattler every week never missed a tattle top tattler hard as nails never back took a backward step to anybody and I think if you speak to anybody who either played with or against Tommy you'll never hear a bad word said against him and everybody just knows him as being that sort of Mr Reliable and he used to do half the tattling for le- for for that left edge that he was on. I think he tattled for Can't all his half back in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyone who's I know Ryan Breeley, you know, and and likes a who've played with him, I'll say, you know, 
he, 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 they, love, they, they love playing outside of him because or inside of him, whichever it was, because he, you know, he did he did that donkey work for him and looked after them. Right. Well, that's Tommy and Frankie as my two back, my second rowers, and then yeah. probably as my thirteen, I'd probably go Sam Hopkins again, another another Lee player um, came through at Lee East, uh, <clears throat> and he, he came for a short period and worked for me as well. So <laughs> most of these lads have done a bit for us. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he, he came and signed for Rochdale in, in the COVID year, if you like. So we signed him from he left Toronto and played 12 months at Workington. And I, um, I mentioned him to Matt and Matt was keen to get him on board. So we brought we brought Sam in and unfortunately, again, he only played a handful of games and COVID wrote the year off. So he was only on a 12-month deal and, uh, and we never saw, really never saw enough of him in a Rochdale shirt. But I think he proved, you know, from, I had a bit, my earlier dealings with Sam, because he came from Lee East and he was at Lee. And we actually sold him when I when I went into Lee. Wigan yeah. bought Sam and paid a fee for him at the time. We sold right. him to Wigan and then ended up bringing him back on on Yeah, Wigan. yeah, I remember that, yeah. yeah. Sam was, he was a good player and probably never maximised his potential, Sam, really. I think because he was, um, you know, for whatever reason, he never hit the, the heights that everybody... I, th- I always thought he'd have a. He did play with the Super League, but never had a full, you know, full Super Super League career. And he certainly had all the, the attributes and the size and everything to do it, but never quite reached the um, the Super League level that we always thought he would do. But yeah, great lad, and and that's my thirteen really. I think um, they're all good lads, and first and foremost, they're all good people, aren't they? And on that list, I was yeah. key for me is good people, and, and and they could play rugby as well. You've been listening to Trot the Egging. Thanks to our sponsors by Dell Sports. Follow us on Twitter at Trot the Egging and Instagram at Trot underscore the underscore egg underscore in.